All right, if you have your Bibles, grab them. Uh, Jonah chapter 1 is where we will continue uh, in our study of Jonah this morning. Uh, we're going to spend a couple weeks in chapter 1 and then uh, really probably just one week in the following chapters. So hope you will read along with us on your own and kind of be reading the book of Jonah so that when we're done in a few weeks, you will walk away feeling like you know this story really, really well. So Jonah 1, 4 through 6 where we'll be today. Um, so uh, growing up, I lived in North Carolina, and my mom's side of the family lived in Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, that's how you say it. Okay, amen, amen. All right. Uh, and so uh, every year, uh, particularly at New Year's, but also during the summer and different times, we traveled a lot back and forth to visit with that side of my family. And, and one of the things that I got to do a lot was travel with my grandma back and forth a lot. And she'd come at different times, and I'd ride with her. And uh, but when she, she just didn't like to drive, and she couldn't drive you know, that long. And so we would always stop halfway uh, to, to rest and get, up, get a hotel and get up the next morning and, and finish the journey. And so uh, we had a tradition that we always stopped in Charleston, West Virginia, right after the Nitro exit, and right off that exit, after Nitro, where the Greyhound track is in West Virginia, there is a Motel 6, and they left the light on. You know what I'm talking about? Now, now, now the role of my family is we do not stay at a place that has the doors on the outside. You know what I'm saying? So we don't stay there. But me and my grandma, we did. We stayed at the Motel 6 every time. And, and I remember one time uh, we were traveling, and, and, and she wanted to get up at, you know, whatever time. And so she picked up the hotel phone, called the, the, the front office, and asked for a wake-up call at such and such a time. And, and she gets off the she says, thank you, gets off the phone. And, and I remember saying, Mimi, my grandma Mimi, there's an alarm clock right there. Not only that, but I've got this really high-tech phone that I could flip open, and it would have an alarm on it, too. Why, why, do, you, why do we need a wake-up call? Well, she wanted one. That's, that's how she did it, and she wanted one, so we had a wake-up call. Back then, and I guess even still today, you can get a wake-up call. You can call and request a wake-up call because you knew you needed it. You needed to wake up. You could plan your wake-up call. But when God sends storms in our lives like he sends the storm to Jonah, we're about to read about, when he sends a wake-up call like that, it's usually never requested. It's usually not something we wanted, not something we planned. We didn't call and say or pray and say, God, I could use a wake-up call tomorrow. Could you send some crazy, stressful storm in my life to get me, to get me right? But regardless of how we feel about the wake-up calls God sends, we always need them. Last week, we saw Jonah be called by God to a mission. And Jonah literally runs almost 3,000 miles in the opposite direction. This week, we see God sending a wake-up call to Jonah to get his life back on track. So read with me Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 4. The words of our God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, say this. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. They said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. 
This is the word of the Lord. As we dive in this morning, I want us to look at this story from the perspective of each of these characters. First, we see uh, that really from God's perspective, and then the sailor's perspective, and then Jonah's, and then the captain's. So first, the perspective of God, the Lord of the storm. It says that the Lord hurled, it's a good word, he hurled, he hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there's this mighty tempest so that the ship threatened to break up. Understand where this storm is coming from. This storm is not an accident. This storm is not coincidence. It is not a simple act of nature. It is a storm sent in this exact place to Jonah because the Lord willed it. God sent the storm into Jonah's life. So why is it that God is hurling this storm into Jonah's life? This storm that is about to cause Jonah and these seemingly innocent bystanders, these sailors, to die in a a sinking ship. First, look back at this word hurled. Hurled, when you look at the literal meaning, it encapsulates this idea of a hunter who is hurling a, uh, a javelin into or a spear into its target. God is hurling this storm at Jonah because God is like a hunter coming after Jonah, seeking him out, chasing him down. The storm is the direct result of Jonah's rebellion. You see, sin and rebellion always have a storm attached to them. Our sin and our rebellion, our disobedience, our going against what God is calling us and asking us to do always has a storm attached to it. Because when we sin and when we rebel against God, we are actually violating God's good design in the world. God designed the world and created it to function in a certain way. And when we go against the grain of that, we experience the direct result of that brokenness because it's not the way the world's supposed to function. See, sin always has a storm attached to it because it goes against God's design of the world. When we reject God's purpose and call on our lives, we are actually rejecting God's best for us. So understand, God is not punishing Jonah for his sin and disobedience. He is not simply angry at Jonah and he is coming to get some payback. He's coming to show him who's boss. That is not what is happening. God is not getting his revenge. God is pursuing the heart of Jonah. He is coming to rescue Jonah. Not only does our rebellion cause the storms in our lives, but God sends them because he loves us. God sends the storms to rescue us. Hebrews chapter 12 says, The Lord disciplines those he loves. Now, discipline is never fun, right? It is never comfortable. We never ask to be disciplined. We always try to get out of being disciplined. We can lie. We can wiggle. We can run. 
I can't tell you how many times I ran away when I was supposed to be getting in trouble, thinking if I'd just run, it wouldn't happen. It didn't work that way. But discipline is given for the good of the one who is receiving it. Now, now let me be clear. Let me have to step aside for a moment before I talk about this. Abuse, whether verbal, physical, is not discipline. That's abuse. Parents are sinners and are broken and can sometimes and have sometimes gone too far in their quote-unquote discipline. And so if you received from your parent a discipline that did not come from a place of love and care, if it was not a measured response, if you received the brunt of your parents' frustration and anger and you were simply a punching bag, I am truly sorry. But I want you to know that that is not what the Lord's discipline is like. The Lord abhors abuse of every kind. Now, the Lord's discipline may be uncomfortable. It might even hurt a little bit, but it is never out of anger. You are never his punching bag. He is never flying off the handle in anger. He is never at his wit's end with you. You are not the source of his anger. Instead, you are the recipient of his love and care. So while it is wrong to abuse kids when disciplining them, it is also wrong to never correct and train them. The Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child. And whatever method you might employ to discipline your children, your discipline is good for them. And to withhold that discipline spoils the child, turns them sour into brats. Discipline is good for them, even if it's not pleasant in the moment. And this is what God is doing to Jonah to wake him up. Uh, This past week, my three-year-old, Lewin, my only boy, uh, Scarlett comes running in, who's just older than him, crying because Lewin told her she was not beautiful. Which is foolish, because she is. And while Lewin is just three years old, and who knows where that came from, I could not allow the seeds of bullying and meanness to take root in his heart. So I treated this seemingly small issue of just saying a mean thing very serious. It would have been really easy for me to just say, Lewin, tell your sister you're sorry, tell her she's beautiful, move on. It had been easy for me to say, y'all get along. It had been easy for me just to yell across the room to them and move on. But that wasn't going to be enough. That wasn't going to actually deal with the problem in Lewin's heart so that it didn't take root and grow. He needed a wake-up call. One thing that I say to him every night, and he says back to me, is we say, boy goes down, girl goes free. That's what it means for you to be a man. The boy goes down, the girl goes free. He says it. And so I looked at him and I said, Lewin, you hurt your sister with your words. I said, this is very serious. I said, Lewin, you took Scarlet down so that you could go free. So that you could feel better about yourself. You hurt her with your words. So I disciplined him. He cried. 
He said sorry to his sister. He hugged her. He told her she was beautiful. But then, then I hugged him. And I said, look me in the eyes. And he always does this. I said, look in my eyes, son. I love you. You are mine. I am not angry with you. And I kissed him and I hugged him and I tickled the snot out of him. So that when he walked away from that encounter, he knew what he did was serious and wrong and he should never do it again. But he also knew that I loved him more than he could ever imagine. And that is exactly what God does for us. My discipline was not to vent my anger. It was not to uh, just correct my son through, and through boasting in my own ego. My discipline was because I loved him. Now, now, listen, I'm a sinner, and I get parenting wrong a lot. I blow up plenty. I mess up. I don't always get it right, but the Lord always gets it right. When you go astray, it is not loving for the Lord to just leave you to your own devices and say, well, I hope they figure it out. It is not loving of the Lord to continue allowing you to hurt yourself or spiral down and to become a person that is ugly. Instead, it is loving for him to give you a wake-up call, to send a storm, to open your eyes to the truth and lead you into repentance. It stinks in the moment. It hurts sometimes. It is hard but it is for our good, and it reveals the love that God has for us as his children. That he would not leave us to our own devices to spoil, but is always after our hearts for our good. Sometimes he sends storms to rescue us. You know, sometimes we think our sin only affects us, that it's an individual thing, but it's not true. It affects those around us. It hurts others, and in Jonah's case, it hurt and affected the sailors. So let's see it from their perspective, the fearful sailors. Verse 5, he says, Then the mariners were afraid, the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Now understand, these sailors are trained professionals. These guys know how to sail a ship. These men knew the sea. They knew storms. They had been sea tested you've heard the phrase cuss like a sailor well these men cuss like sailors they were hardened men not afraid of much of anything not easily scared and so they're on they're on this voyage and they got this one passenger some puny jewish dude sleeping in the bottom of the ship and the storm hits and the storm must have been something like they had never seen in their entire careers or lives because they say, this must be an act of God. That the storm was so violent, so over-the-top ridiculous, nothing that they had ever seen before, that their only conclusion could be that a God has done this. And they were right. And so the sailors who were hardened men were afraid. And so what do they do? First, they begin to cry out to their gods. And, and we don't know which gods they worshipped, but I can imagine they cried out to everyone they could think of. They were begging for the divine to deliver them from the storm. But when that doesn't work, when praying didn't work, they get practical and they start chucking everything overboard. <laughs> 
everything they, they can spare. They throw it over the ship. They lighten the ship to save them. And then that doesn't work. You see, they are trying to save themselves by any means possible, religious or practical. They try it all. And isn't this how we all act before Jesus rescues us? That in our ignorance, we try to save ourselves by any means possible. We, we might have tried religion before we met Jesus. We might have tried church before we met Jesus. I tried church for 10 years of my life before I found Jesus. We might think that reading this old book, the Bible, would save us or deliver us, that, that doing religious things might save us. And when that doesn't work, we try practical things, filling our lives with whatever we think will make us happy. More money, more cars, a relationship, whatever. We try to be a good person, thinking that if we're good enough, we would somehow be saved. But if we were just moral enough, I can't tell you how many people I talk to on an almost weekly basis that I ask them the question, when you stand before God and he says, why should I let you into my heaven, that people who have been church will look at me and say, I've been a good person. I've tried my best. Like, how long have you been in church? And you think trying your best is good? You think you could be a good person? You think that you've lived good enough? You don't stand a chance in hell. The sailors learned the same lesson that all of us did before we met Jesus. That when the storm of judgment will come, when God's judgment comes upon us, in their situation, it's in, this, it's in a literal storm. Nothing can save you except knowing the one who is the Lord of the storm. The sailors were about to learn that their false gods nor their physical attempts could ever save them. Their practical things nor crying out to their false gods could save them. And we need to learn and be reminded of the same lesson. That our goodness, our religiosity, our practical fulfillings of our own hearts will never save us. You tell you how many people that I also talk to, and they just say, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm good because I believe in God. But the Bible says that even the demons believe in God. Who cares that you believe in God? Lots of people believe in God. If you're going to make it through this ultimate storm of God's judgment, there is only one path through. It's not your goodness, not your belief in God. It is to cry out for mercy to a crucified and risen from the dead Christ. But the only way you can know this Savior is if someone tells you about him. And right now, these sailors have done everything that they know to save themselves. They've cried out to gods. They've thrown stuff overboard. None of it's working. And their only hope lies in a sleeping prophet in the bottom of the boat. 
And just as many people in your life's only hope lies in the knowledge that you have. And sometimes, sadly, it takes a storm for us to finally wake up and share the good news that we've been called to share. And so while these, uh, so let's, let's look at this last one. While the sailors are scared to death, praying, throwing stuff overboard, having no idea how to save themselves, Jonah is sleeping. It's the reversal of how things should be. The pagans are praying, and the prophet is sleeping. How ironic is that? The pagans are praying, and the prophet is sleeping. God has sent a Category 5 hurricane to get Jonah's attention. Jonah has run so far from God that he cannot hear that God is screaming at him through this hurricane. When we rebel against God and his will, when we sin, it changes us slowly. It hardens us over time until we are so hard that not even a raging storm from God can wake us up. Like the frog in boiling water. You know this, right? Where you put a frog in water, put it on the stove, and just turn it barely on and slowly warm it up, then a little bit more, slowly warm it up, a little bit more. Eventually, the water is boiling and the frog's just swimming until he dies. In the same way, when we are sinning or living our life against the will of God, slowly we grow used to it. Like calluses on our hands that numb us to the pain of using a shovel, so do our hearts grow numb to hearing the voice of God. Our consciences grow callous, and like Jonah, we don't think our rebellion against God is that big of a deal. I mean, like other people do it, right? I mean, like I'm not perfect, I'm just human, right? I mean, like, we may make all the excuses, and eventually we just find ourselves sleeping in the middle of a hurricane from God, and we can't hear our Savior trying to wake us up because we have so hardened ourselves and calloused ourselves against him. Instead of waking up excited every day about the Lord and his work in your life, instead of the deep joy of walking with him, instead you wake up and just go through the motions. So here you have Jonah, with an assignment from God to go to Nineveh to share a message that could save them. And his heart is so hard that he cannot see the good in such a mission. And now he is on a boat with a bunch of pagans who are in a storm, literally about to head for hell when this ship breaks apart and sinks. And they need to hear about the mercy of God that Jonah alone knows. He's the only one who can tell them. And in their hour of need, Jonah is sleeping on the bottom of the boat. Jonah, because he's hardened against the Lord, is missing out on blessing in his own life, missing out on blessing others, missing out on the joy God is offering, and now his life is miserable. And all he can do is sleep through a hurricane. His heart is so callous that though God is yelling for him, he cannot hear. The question is, can you hear? Can you hear him? Are you living for him? Does your, does your heart leap at his voice? Or has his voice become so quiet in your life that not even a hurricane could get through to you? 
today would just sound like background noise? Have you become so numb and calloused? Have you simply gotten used to the absence and silence of God? Is the absence and silence of God in your life just normal? Because if you ignore him and reject him and don't listen to him long enough, eventually when he shouts for you, you won't hear, you'll sleep right. So, we've seen the perspective from God, the sailors, from Jonah, and finally let's look at the captain. Curious captain. Verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. When you read that and you read the word arise, it is a flashback. And you know how to send a, a tremor down Jonah's spine as he remembers when God said, arise, go to Nineveh. And instead, he descended to Joppa. And now here, we hear a pagan saying, arise, call to your God. Jonah, sleeping in the bottom of this boat, refusing to go to Nineveh, refusing to tell the sailors about his God. He's the prophet of the Lord, the spokesperson of the Lord, and yet never speaks about God to those whom he had been sent. And it takes a pagan it takes a pagan captain to come to Jonah and ask. Now think about this. It takes a pagan captain to come to the prophet of God and ask the question, do you think your God could save us? It is a sad, heartbreaking reality when those who are lost must come looking, to, looking for us and learn how to be saved. Could your God save me? God has sent, sent us, commissioned us to go to the lost. He never said, wait for them to come find you and then share. He said, go to them. We're to go to them. And how sad is it when they must come to us? When we have to wait for them to come walk through this door because they decided their life got so bad that maybe church would do it. Then, oh, you're here. Okay, yeah, we'll help you. Not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to go out those doors to them. Kevin Azell, the president of the North American Mission Board, said this. He said, I'm convinced that more people are interested in hearing the gospel than most Christians are in sharing it. What a sad reality that is if true, that there are people out there more interested in hearing what we have to say than we are in sharing it. I want you to ask yourself this question. If God called you right now to share the gospel with someone in your life, would you do it? Do it. Now understand the reality. God has called you to share the gospel with those in your life. Have you done it? When is the last time you shared Jesus with someone? Are you living in obedience to God's call on your life, or are you running in fear like Jonah? We all have people in our life, interestingly enough, who come to us in the middle of their own personal storm. Right? Maybe, maybe they're going through a divorce, maybe they've got financial problems, maybe there's relationship issues, parenting concerns, job loss, death in the family, whatever it may be, they're going through some storm, and what do you do? 
They come to you with their storm, and do you just give them practical advice? Oh, you know, this works in my marriage. Maybe do this. This works in my parenting. Maybe do this. Oh, I invested in this thing, and it helped me in a financial crisis. Maybe do this. Do you just give them practical advice? Are all you doing is throwing cargo over the boat to try to keep it from sinking? And you could be telling him about the one who can calm the storm, the only one who can keep them from sinking. So often we don't. We get too nervous. We get too scared. We don't know what to say. And so we say nothing, like Jonah sleeping in the bottom of the boat, letting them fend for themselves. I'll just throw some stuff overboard. It'll probably be okay. God sends storms in our lives to open our eyes to the errors of our ways. And sometimes it's his way of course correcting his children, getting us back on track. And other times it's his way of waking up those who are lost so that he can save them. And so let me ask you this. What if you took every opportunity when someone came to you at work or wherever and told you about the storm going on in their life? What if when, you took, when they told you about that storm, you took the opportunity to tell them about the Lord of the storm who can calm it? What if you use that opportunity to tell them about the only one in whom they can have hope and life and assurance and joy? What if you use that opportunity to say, hey, here's some practical advice, but here also, let me tell you, that's a band-aid. Let me tell you about the thing that will actually heal your marriage, heal your relationship with your kids, heal the brokenness in your life. What if we use their storm as an opportunity to tell them about the God who can calm the seas? Because in the New Testament, there's another story about another storm and another boat and another sleeping prophet. In the New Testament, we read about Jesus who is asleep on the boat while his disciples are scared to death because of the storm that they are in. And they go down and they wake Jesus up in a panic and they ask him, why are you not concerned? We're all about to die. And Jesus, Gragiad, wakes up and he says, quiet. And the storm stops. The winds obey. The waves obey his command. Jesus was not sleeping because he was running from God like Jonah. He was sleeping because he trusted God even in the midst of the storm. And the same God who sends the storms into our life ends the storm. Because the storm is not meant to hurt you. The storm is meant to save you. Do you know, you know what the gospel is? The gospel is this good news that Jesus faced the worst storm. That Jesus went and died on a Roman cross to face the storm of the wrath and anger of God though he didn't deserve it. Jesus faced this storm and died so that he could spare Jonah the storm he was going The one who actually deserved to die. Jonah who deserved to face the wrath of God. Jesus took it in his place. Jesus faced that storm to spare me, to spare you. So now, God sends storms in our lives to save us to draw us to him for the first time and to wake us up out of our sin and rebellion and turn us back to living for him. So my question is, in, in, as we end here, who are you, where are you in this story? Are you in a storm that God is trying to get your attention 
Are you listening? Are you like the fearful sailors and you want to be saved, but you don't know how? You tried everything and your life feels empty. Today you can learn. Listen, if your life feels empty, if your life feels incomplete, like there's something missing, today you can learn about the Lord of the storm who can calm the storm in your own heart, who can heal you and make you whole. Or are, are you like the sleeping prophet running from God and God is trying to wake you up? And you say, I'm not doing anything that crazy. Not, not, it's not that bad. People do a lot worse things than me. But subtly, or this, there's a small disobedience in your life and God has been saying, do this, do this, do this. And you're like, nope. And you're hardened your heart against him and what he's been calling you to do. And maybe your life's starting to get a little difficult, a little complicated, a little hard. And maybe God is saying, stop. Going that way is trouble. Turn on around. And he's trying to lovingly open your eyes to fix it. Or do you have a curious captain in your life? Someone who is coming to you with a storm. A storm in their life. And if they do, can you not just give them practical advice, but share with them about the hope that they can have in Christ? A hope that can calm the biggest of storms. You see, storms are wake-up calls. And unlike in the Motel 6, you don't have, we don't plan them. We don't call the front office asking for them. We don't want them when they come, but we need them. Storms are the kindness of God who loves his children and only wants the best for them. No kid ever likes getting in trouble or being disciplined, but I can tell you every kid who was disciplined in love will look back on those painful moments and thank you for them. And I think if we could ask Jonah now, he would tell us that that storm saved his life. It is often said that in the eye of the hurricane, there is perfect calm. The winds are raging all around, but at the heart of the storm is peace and calm. But what is at the heart of the storm that God sends our way? What in, what's in the heart of those storms? The love of God for his children. The child of God. Listen, God loves you. He loves you so much that he will not let you continue running forever. He will not let you stay asleep. He has a plan for you to bless you, to use you to bless others. He loves you enough to send you a wake-up call. So this morning, as hard as it may be, let us learn to thank God for the storms in our lives. Father, none of us like it when you discipline us. None of us like it when you send storms in our lives. None of us like it when you wake us up. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. It's not fun. It's not convenient. But God, deep down, we know we need it. Deep down, we know that our, we harden our hearts against you. We run against you. We rebel against you. And you've called us in your kindness to do one thing, and we do the other because we're selfish creatures who think we know best. To God this morning, as we are, as we are 
in this room, and there are many in this room who may be walking through a storm in their life, and they don't understand it. They don't know how to make sense of it. They don't get it. God, would you help them to see your voice so clearly, to know what you're doing in the storm, what you're calling them to? God, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you, who's lost, who's like the sailors, who want to be saved, but they've tried everything, tried religion, tried filling their hearts and lives with everything, but nothing seems to work, and they are just at odds with how to be delivered and saved and made whole. God, would you show them this morning that you are the Lord of the storm, the only one who can do it. If that's you this morning, as we sing this song, me and some other uh, of our deacons are going to be up here, would you just come and say, Brent, I don't know what to do. Would you just come and say, Brett, I want to be saved. I want to be made whole, and I don't know how. I've tried church and tried religion, tried these things, and it doesn't work. Let me show you the Lord of the storm. Let me show you a Jesus who would be crucified and risen for you, who would love you deeper than you could imagine. And if you're here this morning and you, you are now sensing that the storms in your life, God has been trying to wake you up to something that God has been trying to get your attention to, to call you to repentance and his kindness. He's been trying to show you to stop living a certain way, to turn. Maybe this morning you need to come up here and kneel and pray. Maybe you need to come up and pray with one of us or just ask us to pray for you. We would love to do that. But whatever God calls you to do, do not ignore him. Do not be like Jonah, ignoring his voice, sleeping through a Category 5 hurricane as God is screaming at the top of his lungs, to save you as you are headed for a cliff. Do not ignore him because he is screaming out of love to deliver you. Listen to his voice. Open your ears and heart to it. And no matter how scary it might be, do what he's calling you to do because it is for your good. And like Jonah, I think we'll look back and say, God, I'm glad, I, I'm glad you sent that storm and I'm glad you called me back and I'm glad I listened. However you need to respond this morning, listen to his voice and do as he says. He's all wise and all good and all loving. Give us strength, Father. In Christ's name we pray. All those people said, stand and sing together.